Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, although you're going to have to be patient, we have reached the hour where I have things to say. But before even I say those things, can we pause? It is Independence Day weekend for our great nation. national anthem used to be a radio show host a long time ago i forget um was it ken himblin who always started his show with a variation of the star spangled banner i've thought about that um but it would be hard to keep up and then their rights issues and all of that um that one is the u.s armed forces uh, glee club you know i did not grow up in this country when i was five years old my family moved to the United Arab Emirates. My dad worked for an oil company and it was basically move to Dubai or find a new job. It was not the Dubai you know today. Our yard was desert. My parents paid for sweet soil that was brought in and grass planted. So we had a grass yard. Um, there was desert across the street. All of the walls had high wall. All the yards had high walls because the camels would come in from the desert into the city to eat the oleander bushes that grew in our yards. We would come home during the summer, but otherwise we lived abroad. Every few months, our visas would expire. Our dad's company would tell us to pick a country and we would go for a week while our visas were renewed and we would come back. I've still been to more countries than states. This is the only country on planet Earth whose residents seem ashamed of it when all the world abroad wishes to be here. There is a contempt for this country among its citizenry that the rest of the world finds odd because there are so many people who are dying literally to get here. There's a mass army of illegal aliens walking across our border, even as I am talking to you right now, of people desperate to come here for liberty, for freedom, for jobs, an opportunity that they did not have in their home country, for peace. 
Surely there are the malcontented souls also coming who mean uh, to bring malevolence into the country. But overwhelmingly, it's people who have heard the ideal of America and wish to be Americans. And so many Americans, particularly on college campuses and in the progressive movement of this country who despise this country, who have embraced the revised fictional narrative of the 1619 fable so that they have intellectual ammunition about which to lie about this country. Our country is set apart. I do not believe that ours is an explicitly Christian nation as some people on the right do. I, I, I've read the histories and the stories. I, I do think God has purposes and plans and raises up nations and brings them down. And ours was certainly, if you believe the sovereignty of God, ours is a nation that God himself created for reasons that, well, we're still playing out over time. But for a long time, dedicated to the idea and proposition that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Ours is a nation different from others because our nation was founded on an idea and on a piece of paper. You know, we have the oldest written, still operating constitution, the oldest written constitution in modern times and also still operating. And for a lot of people these days, it seems absurd. There are so many people, I saw Dave Portnoy of Barstool Politics saying it's it's crazy that ours is a nation governed by a 240-year-old piece of paper. We're in the 21st century, for God's sakes. Why are we still bound to this thing? We shouldn't be. Well, you know, if not, the founders were wise enough to provide ways for us to change it, but we've chosen not to change it. Therefore, we're still bound to it, but ours is a nation of choice, of ideas. Ours is a nation where anyone on the planet who shares in our ideas can come here and join us in common cause to advance the great American experiment. Every nation on the planet is a plan, is a nation of blood and soil. Ours is a nation of ideas. Ours is a nation on paper makes us unique, and we don't value that enough. And, and there's this growing strain on both the left and right that we actually are a nation of blood and soil, that, that you have to be born here and your parents American to become American. That's never been the proposition in this country. In fact, originally, you read the Constitution, you find originally, uh, though the president now must be someone who was born an American, originally didn't have to. Why? Because they were all subjects to the English king, to the British monarchy. Our founders lived at a time where the values we take for granted were the ideas and values for which they were willing to die. Are you willing to die? Are you really willing to pledge your life, your fortune, and your sacred honor for this country? Some are. They join the military. Some, though, join the military because they want a better education. They don't really want to go fight and die and, and begin to complain when we go to war. But many of the ones who do... They do because they're willing to pledge their lives for this country. Are you willing to pledge your life for the freedom of speech? Are you willing to pledge your life for the destiny of this country? A lot of people aren't. And a lot of people have given up. They despise this country. The arguments that we have today from so many people on the left in particular, but also some on the right, 
or that we're outmoded, we're outdated. History is moving beyond us. There's something better. There's something greater out there uh, that we need to give up on the ideals of our founders. No, we do not. We need to get back to them. We need a restoration of the American ideal, an embrace of the American ideal, a recognition that the American ideal is something unique, that our founders were deeply flawed men, but they were committed to the idea of America. You read the middle class at the time. There's a guy, Bernard Balin. I think he's at Princeton. He won an award. You know, the prevailing sentiment up until the 1960s of American historians after World War I was that the United States was a mercantilist revolution. It was the upper middle class and rich people who they didn't want to give up their spoils to Britain. They were tired of just the taxes. And so they struck up this rebellion that most of the people didn't support just for their own betterment. And that was really, that was embraced and it was it, it inculcated a university system. Uh, and a lot of people were taught that. And then there was this guy, his name is Bernard Balin. And he did something that no one had thought to do. And he wrote a book, The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. I encourage you to read it. The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution by Bernard Balin. He did something none of the other academic historians had bothered to do. He skipped the writings and letters of Washington and Jefferson and Hancock and Hamilton. Instead... Our middle-class Americans at the colonial period in the revolution were deeply literate people who wrote lots of letters back and forth to each other, and he began to read them. And it turns out the middle class and the poor, they too latched onto the ideas of the American Revolution. You see, for all of them, all of them, their grandfathers had been British subjects and Englishmen subject to and a part of the glorious revolution of 1688, where they threw out King James II without a shot fired, brought in William and Mary, and they structured the English Bill of Rights. The English Bill of Rights was a document structured within the living memory of the people of the Constitution. And it was that that made Parliament supreme over King, and it was that that secured liberties like the right to keep and bear arms. And our founders were committed to that. The middle class were committed to that. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to this separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. 
Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evil are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove it, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And they outline all of their grievances against Great Britain and the king. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attention to the British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. We have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these actions, which would inevitably interrupt our connection and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have the power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states might do. And for the support of this declaration and a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor on this date, July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. I want to spend just a few more minutes before I get back to phone calls uh, talking about uh, our history. You know, there's there's a famous story describing what happened to the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, some of it isn't quite accurate. Uh, but what is accurate? Five signers of the Declaration of Independence were captured by the British during the Revolutionary War. Richard Stockton of New Jersey was specifically taken prisoner because he signed the Declaration of Independence. He was dragged from his bed at night by local Tories loyal to the Crown. Uh, his family had been evacuated already from New Jersey. He was imprisoned in Provost Jail in New York. 
for signing the Declaration of Independence. Twelve of the signers did have their homes ransacked and burned, some because they signed, some just because they were in areas where battles were. Abraham Clark of New Jersey saw two of his sons captured by the British and incarcerated on the prison ship Jersey. John Witherspoon of New Jersey saw his eldest son, James, killed at the Battle of Germantown in October of 1777. Nine of the signers did die in the course of the war. Uh, None of them did die from wounds inflicted on them by the British. Button Gwinnett of Georgia died from a duel with a fellow officer. Carter Braxton had a lot of his ships taken by the British Navy. He fell into debt. He used a lot of his um, assets to help fund the war. but they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. It was a brutal war. The British were playing for keeps. They couldn't have a colony rebel. They couldn't have a colony rebel because if one rebelled, they knew the dominoes would begin to fall. And so they fought as hard as they could. But we were successful, and we were successful because we had an ideal. We had an ideal we were fighting for. We had an idea we were fighting for. And we spend so much time these days fighting against each other. I just think you got to remind yourself that our founders were literally dying for ideas. They literally were dying for ideas. They were dying for the idea of the United States, something not yet born, but on the horizon to come. And are you willing to die for an idea, for an ideal? They weren't dying for their country. These were Englishmen. They viewed themselves as Englishmen. You pay attention to their literature, their writings. They viewed themselves as Englishmen. You read the Declaration of Independence. What you realize is that these are people who really did view themselves as British subjects and that the British were ignoring them as treating them as something other than British subjects. And they had no other recourse but to form a new government to preserve their liberty. The liberties they thought they had inherited from the Glorious Revolution, from the English Bill of Rights, that the English Parliament was telling them, nope, not really yours, just ours. They're like, how is it not ours? And the British would say, well, you're colonists, you're second class. And so they went to war. And in so doing, rallied a people and forged a new nation dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal 246 years ago. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Happy Independence Day. And it is Independence Day. Uh, I got to tell you, the the number of people who get mad at me, I've I've already gotten hate mail from you. You wish people a happy 4th of July. Independence Day. (laughs) Come on. We all know what we mean. Let's go to the phones, shall we? Uh, Thomas, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Thomas, happy Independence Day. Thank you. Um, kind of want to tie into your monologue a little bit about the reminder of some of the wisdom that was in there, and one of it had to do with the separation of powers. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's ironic that the the our legislative lever, leaders are upset that the judiciary is returning power to the legislative branch in the democratic process. 
And right. part of it is they're too busy acting like law enforcement in the judiciary in the, in the January 6th Inquisition. Um, but if you just look at Roe as an example, you know, why don't they try to pass a compromise moderate abortion legislation sort of like the gun control where they peel off 10 senators and try to codify Roe? I mean, why not a Roe light? Because from their perspective, having some abortions is better than having none. And I'll answer the question. I think part of it is they like having the issue more than the policy. You know, they could start with saying, okay, you know, no abortions after 16 weeks. At least they'd have something. And I think broader, they like hiding behind the courts. And I think they like hiding behind the administrative state because they can blame it on the CDC or the EPA or the court of defining viability. And they don't have to get their hands dirty. Yeah, look, um, it's it's one of the issues here is that the Democrats in 2010 controlled the presidency the House of Representatives, and had a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. They spent all of their energy getting Obamacare passed with that filibuster-proof Senate and then never did anything on Roe v. Wade. They could have. They could have done a whole lot of stuff. They could have taken on climate change. They could have taken on immigration. They could have done all these things, and instead they squandered it on Obamacare. Notice how the media never asks Barack Obama, if you could go over, do it over, you had a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, would you have done anything different? They never ask him that. They want to fundraise off the issue. They don't actually want to solve the issue. That honestly is the bottom line here. Uh, Let's see, Lisa, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Lisa? Hi, Eric. Hi there. Hi, Eric. Hi, um, I'm a first-time caller. I'm usually what used to be a Rush Limbaugh show, so um, I've started listening to you. And well, you. I wanted to thank you for educating me on why I care so much about D.C. Now I care about what's in my state and my local. And for the first time, two people on the ballot, I went out of my way to vote on my local. And now I know more about them. That's so. fantastic. I, you know, I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, I do get people who get very mad at me for telling them you got to focus no, on the I'm local. No, and I'm telling everybody I know, why do you care what's going on in D.C.? <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. I, I mean, it, it certainly has the power to affect us. We see that with the economy, for example. It does, uh, and, and with regulation. But your, your local government and your state government are going to impact you and your kids on a daily basis more than Washington, D.C. It's, it's just the reality of it because of what they cover. And we've got to pay attention to our local politics. We've got to pay attention to what goes on in our city councils, in our county commissions, in our school boards, all of whom are elected. And so many people, you, you see it, like, for example, here in Georgia, for example, uh, those nonpartisan races, school boards and city councils in Georgia are nonpartisan. And so those races are held uh, on in the primary, and whether you're on the Democratic ballot or the Republican ballot, you get those at the bottom, and people don't stay around for them. They walk away from them, and yet those are the ones that are going to impact your life so much more on a daily, regular, sustained basis than what happens in Washington. I'm not saying, and don't hear me say, that Washington doesn't impact us. It's not what I'm saying. Washington absolutely impacts us, but on a daily basis from your trash being picked up at the edge of your driveway 
to what your kids learn in school when you fixate so much on Washington and, and abdicate your responsibilities to pay attention to local government, uh, local governments where you really have the daily impact and you got to be engaged all the way down to the dog catcher race. All right. Uh, Jaime, I'm going to go to you next. Welcome to the program. Jaime? Well, I guess he disappeared. Uh, Jim, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, tell me, how much does sunspots uh, affect climate change? I can remember some years ago, 10, 15 years ago maybe, I heard an astrophysicist or I read an article about an astrophysicist who said that in her discipline they thought it did uh, influence climate, but she said that the uh, they were certainly not in agreement as to how much. Some thought a little, some thought a lot, some thought a moderate amount, which I think was her position. And I haven't heard a word about sunspots on, and climate change since then. Have you heard yeah, anything? You know- uh, well, so I will tell you, I, I actually had my telescope out the other day looking at the sun, and there aren't a lot of sunspots on it right now. Um, but, uh, you know, Scientific America has a story that acknowledges uh, many climate scientists agree that sunspots and the solar wind play a role in climate change. Now, the majority of them say that uh, they think we play a larger role in industrial activity, but, I mean, we're we're in this this massive massive, uh, for lack of a better word, ecosystem. I mean, when you think about it, we are a planet orbiting a massive ball of nuclear plasma that is orbiting a black hole at the center of, of the Milky Way. Our solar system is in a conglomeration of stars in one part of an outer band of the Milky Way. Uh, there's a lot of interaction there that we don't necessarily understand. We know that other planets have also uh, shown signs of climate change, not just ours. But we also know that ours has so shown impact from industrialization. It suddenly, it, it, it absolutely makes sense that we would impact our climate. But also, um, why must we give up our way of life when we are also the species that is adaptable? I mean, the, the left has bought in, hook, line, and sinker, the whole concept of evolution, more so than even Charles Darwin did. Why can't we evolve? Why can't we adapt? Seems like we should be able to. I mean, the, the, the idea that the environmentalists say we've got to give up our entire way of life in order to survive, I think, is, is bunk. Uh, and yet that's what they do. That's what they advance. That's what they say. Uh, and I just don't think that we should be upending Western civilization, particularly when China is not going to upend Chinese society uh, for to save the planet in some way where the planet itself doesn't need to be saving. You all hate to make a theological point here, but I've read the end of the book. The big man comes back on a horse with a sword with Johnny Cash singing backup music, and we get off the planet. Well, some of us do. The rest, well, I mean... There's going to be hellfire and brimstone anyway. So now, on that happy note, let's go to Isaac. Isaac, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hey, you said Isaac? Yes, I did. Hey, um, I had a question. Uh, my wife, we're pregnant right now about four months in, and she's been reading a lot of stories online over the recent federal overturn of Roe v. Wade. Um, as far as ectopic 
pregnancies and miscarriages. She's been reading a lot of stories online through social media that the doctor's hands will now be tied and they, they just won't be able to do anything else for the mother. How, how true is that? How false is that? And it's I just wanted it's to get your... a thousand percent false to the point that even Planned Parenthood is having to tell people uh, that it's not true. It has It is dominating social media. Uh, TikTok videos are being produced on it, Instagram reels, Facebook posts, uh, tweets, uh, Hollywood celebrities saying that women with ectopic pregnancies will, will have to deal with it. They won't be able to have an abortion. It is a bajillion percent false. From Planned Parenthood to the National Right to Life Committee, uh, they're all saying this is false. We got 50 states and seven territories, and in all 50 states and the seven territories, plus the District of Columbia, uh, an ectopic pregnancy uh, is not covered under abortion bans. There have been efforts in certain states by some ignorant members of state legislatures, Missouri included recently, where some uh, members of the legislature tried to ban abortions of ectopic pregnancies. It didn't go anywhere. Uh, even Republicans have killed it. Uh, the, the National Right to Life Committee has a very strong stance uh, about the issue. It's just simply not true. And what's happening here is the false information is going to cause more harm to women than abortion bans. Literally, we have 50 states, seven territories, and the District of Columbia as a nation. And in all of them, ectopic pregnancies are an exception to the rule. It doesn't matter where you are. If you have an ectopic pregnancy, doctors can take care of that issue. Uh, and to women out there who don't think so, you're being lied to. It is a complicit lie. Why? Because the left needs the fear. Because the left needs to scare people. Because the left needs you worried. Because the left needs you abused. The, because the left needs you angry headed into the November election. They will not tell you the truth. That's what's going on here. You need to understand that. We live in a great nation. We are in a nation filled, though, with people right now who use the media on the left to lie, and people on the right use social media to lie. People aren't committed to the truth anymore. They're committed to their truth. But the actual factual truth needs to be put out there. You know, we live in a postmodern age, and in a postmodern age, everybody wants their truth and their emotion, and the problem is in doing so, uh, they elevate things that aren't true but make them feel good. It's all an emotional response, and that's unfortunate, uh, really unfortunate. Um, a lot of you are having emotional responses right now to the market, though. And I want to be mindful of what's happening economically. I didn't get into all the economic news, but I will tell you that we're back to the Carter-era economy with 40-year high inflation and interest rate hikes and gas prices the way they are. If you've got $50,000 or more in your IRA, your 401k or other retirement savings, your money could be at risk. And you don't have a lot of options to protect your money. But gold and silver, physical gold and silver, could potentially uh, help uh, balance out your portfolio and stop the ebbs and flows you're seeing in the market. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for reaching out to GoldGo and talking to them and doing business with them. And call, see if you qualify for their special offer. If you call them at 855-904-5933, they will send you a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. They've helped thousands of Americans. They want to help you if they can. Uh, text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Text 
text my name to 33777. See if they can help you. Uh, just partner with them if they're a good fit for you. It's uh, text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Now, I, I did that here because I want to play this, because I always play this for the 4th of July, because I love this, uh, from a group called She Daisy. I love the Battle Hymn of the Republic. The only thing I don't like is the last stanza used to be, originally as written, was as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. And it was changed over time to as he died to make men holy, let us die to, to let us live to make men free. But again, it's just an important reminder here for the 4th of July that our nation is a nation built on an idea, not blood and soil. Our nation is an ideal that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. With the glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. While God is marching on, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on, his truth is marching on. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you guys all have a great and safe Independence Day uh, and that you're able, if you can, shoot lots of fireworks. We and our family have done, you know, for years and I didn't even realize growing up in Louisiana, we come home during the summer from Dubai and shooting fireworks in Louisiana was perfectly legal. And then I moved to Georgia and it was not. And thankfully, the legislature in Georgia a number of years ago uh, made it legal. And, and for a time, it was legal like 24-7, 365. And uh, people were taking advantage of it. And so they had to scale back the times by which you could shoot fireworks. But they're generally available. Now, it's not like Alabama and South Carolina where you get just the massive, massive stuff. 
But in Georgia, you still you get really good fireworks, and I have bought a whole lot of fireworks for my kids and their friends to be able to shoot in the cul-de-sac, um, and and we're going to do that and have fun celebrating this country. You know, John Adams suggested to his wife in a letter that July 3rd, 1776, would be a day the nation would celebrate um, with fireworks and parades and celebration. Uh, because it was actually July 3rd, 1776, that uh, the Declaration of Independence, or might have been the second, but in any event, that was the day it was actually approved. But they had to come back and sign it. And they signed it, and they made the official announcement on July 4th. Uh, they And that was, so that became the date for the Declaration of Independence. And that became the date the United States became a nation. We started thereafter once the war was won with the Articles of Confederation, and it just proved unwieldy because it required absolute agreement among all the states. Every state had a veto. And so it was modified into the Constitution, a more formal document. And the founders were very aware of, of how humanity operates. They were deeply skeptical of, of people working together and people coveting power. So they divided it between three branches of government. They then divided the legislative between the people and the states. Uh, they did not make the executive very powerful, nor the courts very powerful. The executive and the judiciary took power for themselves, including the power to declare something unconstitutional uh, by the courts. Uh, that wasn't actually a power granted by the Constitution, but it's kind of become the default very early uh, in the history of the republic. We have our government now. We have the power to amend it. We've done so 27 times. We have, in some cases, amended and then unamended through the amendment process, for example, prohibition. But we remain governed by this document that lays out how we're supposed to structure our society for government, not for our society culturally. Uh, and some people really hate it and are trying to cast aspersions on it. But it's held up very well over time, as has this nation, because it's about an idea, not a people.